Hey guys, welcome back to the Motor Madhouse Podcast. I am your host, Mike, joined by my good buddy, Steve. Steve, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Ready to talk about some cars again. Yeah, how's uh, how's your car life going? Anything new and exciting since we last recorded? Nothing new. You know, I've been driving my my rear-wheel drive sedan in the winter, and it's been doing just fine. You know, it's all about tires. Um, you know, everybody freaks out. Like, oh, how, how did everybody ever get around with two-wheel drive ever? But, you know... Just good tires and know how to drive. Yeah. Usually gets you around. It is funny because we put something on the Motor Madhouse Instagram page, which you guys should all go follow, um, about like the Teslas freezing up in Chicago. And I don't engage in the comments because it's I don't have that much time. There's like hundreds of people just fighting. But it's kind of funny just to observe from afar. But a lot of people are just like the people who are pro-electric, probably pretty young kids. They're just like, oh, you know, Gasoline cars wouldn't start in this cold either. Like, no one get to work if we're all driving carburetors. It's like, <laughs> yeah, guys, the whole world every... didn't exist until, <laughs> yeah, until like, 2014. Until the... We couldn't right. do anything. Well, carburetors weren't even mainstream until the 80s. Right. It's like people got to work. People lived in Minnesota and North Dakota in the 60s and 50s and 70s, you know. Um, and uh, my, uh, I have a sister that's 10 years older than me, and she had a carbureted, it was a C20 Silverado 350 carb. And she started that thing every morning to go to school and yeah, just choked it, right? You got it going. Yeah. You got to let them warm up and you got to really kind of just work that throttle for a good 10 minutes, but so, <laughs> they'll, yep. they'll warm up in the cold. Um, but yeah, I was going to let you know, I I did decide for sure this is my last year doing snow plowing. So I already told a bunch of my customers and in lieu of that, I was like, well, do I, do I need to keep this truck even? Because now I know what it's been through. It's been used and abused. I wouldn't trust to drive it more than an hour. It's been just right. a plow truck for three seasons with salt and abuse. So it still makes a great plow truck. It's going to run for who knows how oh, long. Yeah. It's a 230,000-mile, 6-liter LS. But So I decided I'm going to sell it once snow is gone for the season. So probably sometime in March I'll list it. But uh as far as my own property, I still need something to plow with. I don't want to keep a junky truck around that runs six days a year. Right. Um, so I decided to buy a UTV and nice. the thought was in my head and then started looking for them. And long story short, I'm getting one delivered tomorrow. Nice. So, what are you getting? Uh, 2017 Kawasaki T-Rex 4. Nice. Yeah. Those are good so, machines. So yeah. Here, here I had like the, the full enclosure with a windshield wiper, a plow, a winch, a Bluetooth uh, a stereo system in it. A uh, fifth seat for a child in the middle, so it's like three in the back. Well, so now I was like, oh, you're going UTV trips too during the summer. Uh, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, there's <laughs> more more things to do, and you know the kids love it. And the cool thing is, they're actually street legal in my town. Oh yeah, that's so, becoming really big. Like a lot of places are making them street legal, which is awesome. Yeah, so the kids are excited. Like we have a bunch of their friends that live two miles away, all back roads. Like we'll just take the UTV in the summertime. So you'd be surprised what those can plow too. I, I plowed with a Sportsman quad. Man, I can move some snow with that. Like, oh yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, you're not gonna take like three foot drifts down with it or anything, but still, that it would make some progress, right? Get I just can't wait to have that short of a wheelbase. I'm not used to that. Oh, I'm used God. to a quad cab truck with the worst yeah. radius on earth. Yeah, we were actually talking about getting another plow truck for the farm, and I don't know. I I, I think a side by side would be the way to do it. We have a couple of Rangers out there. We have two and a Razor and that's probably what we'll do is get a plow for one of those. It's just way easier to get around. Yeah, we're excited. But anyways, for today's episode, uh, we want to do a continuation of the episode we did a couple weeks ago talking about 
the best cars of the 1980s. And we wanted to make this a regular segment where we go through uh, the most popular decades of automobile production and talk about them. But then we started to kind of hammer out the details and we're like, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of different categories to pick these from, like which is the greatest car, which are the worst, which are the most iconic, et cetera. Well, the um, 70s has its own event, too, that we wanted to. Right. And then so today we said we're going to pick 70s. And then we're talking, we're like, well, what? you got, you got to break up the 70s into two different segments because like the fun, the music stopped in 1972. The muscle car era like had a hard stop from the EPA. Everything got boring and slow and ugly for the, for the most part. Um, <laughs> but so to compare, uh, if we were to do an episode in the 70s and talk about the best cars, well, we're, we're not going to get past 1972. It's going to be mostly 1970. <laughs> right. So it, it seemed like kind of silly to just talk about that. So we're going to break this into two episodes. Today we're going to do the more uh, less exciting cars, but still need to be mentioned from 1973 to 1979 into three categories. So first we'll talk about our personal favorites. Uh, second, we'll talk about the most or the popular culture yep and then most interesting sorry yep so um i think we're in a different order it'll be our favorite then most interesting interesting, and then pop culture so okay so we'll start with those and once again we haven't talked with each other about these so i'm not sure (laughs) if, if we have cars that overlap well, we knew, one, we knew one that we're going to have to bring up anyways. This is such a good one. But yeah. um, well, the yeah. good news is like we, we both have such different interests that it's like we tend to pick from different pools when we're coming up with these numbers. Well, but. And I lean into that hard, too. Like, I'm sure it comes off like, oh, this guy always picks this different foreign cars. But like, I figure might as well lean into that and be the, <laughs> yeah. the one that does that. Right. So. And you kind of see like, oh, Mike's just a biased GM 1970s <laughs> baby boomer. The thing is, I actually am too. But <laughs> Right. But I know a little bit about some of the foreign cars. So I think I've been kicking these off. So why don't we, we'll let you start. Uh, okay. Your favorite here. Well, you get it pulled up. So this, you know, was a hard one to pick because it's not only my favorite car of the 1970s post 72 it's it's up there with some of the early 70s cars um i'd also put it in the most interesting category but i couldn't pick the same car twice <laughs> um i'm gonna go in here so it's the 1973 and 4 pontiac trans am super duty so are you familiar with these at all a little bit right yeah but i'm sure you know more well, they're interesting because it was like the one last middle finger to the EPA that Pontiac put out once they kind of stopped the party with muscle cars. So this car was not supposed to be built. They went, insurance prices were crazy. Gas prices were crazy. Regulation came in. Uh, so you saw compression ratios drop. You saw smog carburetors, low compression cylinder heads all across the board. So you had all these big block 455s and whatnot making 180 horsepower overnight when they used to be making 360 to 400. So Pontiac kind of just got one last jab in and they did it in 1973 and 74, which is really the first year when everything kind of slowed down. 72, you still had some fast cars, but 73, they somehow got around all the regulation and they basically, the EPA had the 455 specs on paper. So they didn't really have to prove that this motor needed like a new compliance because they already had like their smogged out 455 that was in mm-hmm. compliance with all the regulations. So they 
basically you just kind of push that paperwork back through with this car and didn't tell them it. they put hot, super high flowing cylinder heads. They bumped up the compression ratio, aluminum intake, <laughs> a hot cam, hot carb um, is a very unique motor. And they only made it these two years and it was based like 280 horsepower or something, but it's considered the fastest Pontiac ever made. It, it actually out of the box is running like a mid 13 second quarter mile. Wow. And it's a very complicated statement because it's the fastest Pontiac ever made, but it's not the fastest Trans Am ever made. So as we discussed on the previous episode, the 89 Turbo Trans Am right. was probably a tenth or two tenths faster in a quarter mile than this car, but that was Buick powered. Uh, the LS1 WS6 Trans Ams are about as fast, maybe a tenth faster, but that's Chevy power. So the right. enthusiasts say this is the fastest Pontiac ever made. So they were uh, in reality... 3,800 pound car running 1370. They're probably around 10 horsepower per pound, probably 400 horse, 410, somewhere in there. Uh, but they didn't make a ton of them. In 73, which is the year I prefer, it's, they changed the body style a little bit. 73 is the the red one you see here. So this yep. is I do like kind that of that. Yeah. yeah, that's the 1970 to 73 body style. I prefer that. 74, it's got kind of that smoking the bandit uh, rectangle grill. Mm -hmm. But they were like at least uh, a couple six gens that they must have talked about bringing it back or something. Yeah, I think there were some companies that did Camaros and did the Firebird conversions mm -hmm. and whatnot. But um, so they only made like 250 in 73 and less than wow. less than like 1174. So not a lot of them. They, they weren't a hot seller. It was a very expensive option. And then a lot of the dealers marked them up too once they got them because they were super rare. And was, everyone kind of knew it was the last hurrah. It was like the true car guys knew, like, hey, there's still one out there. Pontiac's still making a beast. <laughs> it was <laughs> super low production. But um, it was the it was the last hurrah of muscle cars. So, I like I said, it's, it's hard, hard to pick this for most interesting or my favorite. But I would say it's my favorite car from 73 to 79. Uh, just because it's just the, the anti-establishment mindset behind it. I just kind of respect. <laughs> it's kind of government telling car companies to make boring cars. And they're like, all right, hold on. Well, one more time. I'm just going to sneak one through. <laughs> but uh, and I actually got a quick story about these. Uh, my, one of my dad's friends used to play with a lot of F-bodies. And he had a couple Super Duties when I was a kid. And one in particular, we picked up, uh, I think it was like in Racine, Wisconsin. And this guy had this beautiful house. Uh, super nice driveway, well paved. Like, looks like he had a, a landscape company do his yard every week. And it is a 10,000 original mile blue 74 Super Duty. And it was kind of the first time I learned about these. I was probably 10. So he's giving me the whole story about these things when we were driving up there. And he he asked the seller, does it have a posi rear end, which they should all have that. And the guy responded, I don't know, which is kind of a <laughs> funny answer because my dad's buddy just loves to beat on cars. Like every time I saw him, he's always doing donuts and burnouts. So long story short, he seals the deal with the guy. And in the guy's driveway, after he pays for the car, he just dumps the clutch and just like two <laughs> giant tattoos down his perfectly silk blacktop driveway for a guy who didn't even know his car had posi. That he's never even <laughs> the tires. Just lights him up. Then he pulls out onto his country road and just does like three solid gears of rubber out of the driveway. And you just see the guy shaking his head in his driveway. And my, my dad and I are following, following him on the way home. He's like, Wait, what, what was he thinking? Like, that guy's got to look at those marks now for years. Like, <laughs> he's going to remember that car for a while. Yeah. Then he sold that car to Kuwait, and this is like right before 9-11. So I, I kind of wonder if that car got blown up or not, or if it still exists. <laughs>
<laughs> likely. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's int- I've heard of these, but I didn't know as much about them. I, I assumed it was just like a nerfed 455, but it sounds like it still had some go on it. So no, it was uh it was one of the Pinex best motors because the cylinder heads were the round port uh heads, which were basically came from the Ram Air 4 Pinex, which we talked about on our previous episode from 69 and 70. So they basically took their their hot 400 motor, put it on their 455, and made this for 1,200 cars. Cool. No, that's a really good one. Right. So I, I I teed mine up here when you're ready. Um, so I I had the debate between two different ones here, um, and I, I came down to the Scout. I just think this is a car that I really like from the 70s, but I have not gotten to experience yet. So uh, the Scout two was made in the 70s here, and I don't know. I, I think when they're a convertible and you put a little wheel and tire on them, probably swap to a 350 uh, motor. They are just absolutely cool. Like it's the coolest vehicle I've ever seen. And we have a lot of internationals on the farm. So like, I, I don't know why that just kind of uh, rings a bell with me and makes me think uh, I'd really like to have that sitting on the farm and play with it again. Like it's just, it's almost just the body that people even buy anymore at this point. Like they're putting different axles underneath them, different drivetrains completely, you know, um, maybe leaving the interior the way it is, but um, I don't know if you've ever got the experience one of these or drive one yet or. Yeah. Uh, I used to work with my dad and we had a little classic car dealership and we actually restored a, I think it was a 64. So it was a first gen scout. It was like a little shorter wheelbase. The, the little, uh, Topper came off the back and turned into a bed, but it was a it was a hard top truck though. I know some of them were like full removable, but it was uh it was fun. We have the stock little international straight yeah. four cylinder. I think it was in it. Uh, yeah, it was a little tiny four. motor. They had, a, they had a lot of motors, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we got it running all good. It was like brown and white. We got it, and then we painted it um, an Oldsmobile color, a G and Aqua, one of my favorite colors. So we kind of did our own custom stripe on it, put some hot wheels on it. My dad did a bunch of woodwork in the bed. Nice. Um, yeah, it was a sore subject. We were we thought the cars would do really good money because these cars were getting super hot, and you know I think we were hoping to get like north of forty grand for it, and we just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. I think we ended up taking like twenty four for it, and then when was that? Two thousand fifteen, maybe. Oh, I, I think I remember us talking about this one. Now that you say it, but yeah. yeah, and then it went auction to auction from the guy who bought it to us. Then this high end dealership in St. Louis bought it, and. They sold it for sixty four grand with our wax on it. Still, they didn't even touch it. Ugh. So that was a nice little. <laughs> we knew it. I knew the car had the look. We just could not find the buyer. So, yeah, I, I, this is a poor example of a photo of one. I just kind of pulled up a, a wiki really quickly here, but um, I, I don't know anybody who knows these cars knows they can look pretty awesome. I thought an interesting fact I saw on it is they. They never, they always had the gross vehicle weight of like what it could handle for weight at 6,200 pounds or something because it was right under a government regulation that would ask it to have catalytic converters. So because they did that, they could not have to put cats on it, which. Oh, that's pretty cool. Again, just another one of those things, like a regulation that we just work away around it, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. That's anytime you can beat the system. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> exactly. But that's, I like the second gen ones here though. They're a little longer wheelbase, a little, little tougher looking. Um, but yeah, like these cars have gotten pretty hot. These and the international travel alls, that's like they're suburban. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I, um, those. I mean, really that whole segment's gotten hot. Like if you look at the, the Wagoneers, the Broncos, K5s, like, um, 
those will all come back around. And that's where, you know, we can get into like where modern cars have went, but like Ford capitalized on it with the Bronco, uh, Ford or Chevy screwed up. Like <laughs> totally. They should have brought back the K5. That would have been a sick, that would have sold. Like there'd be yeah. one sitting right here, right now. Right <laughs> yeah, that's they can never quite read the room. It's like they no. gotta, Ford's got to do it first, and then they copy with like the you know bringing the Camaro back with a retro body style and those kind of yeah exactly decisions. Yeah, that was a good pick. So for my next one, most interesting for several reasons uh, would be the ninth generation. It started actually in seventy one, but it kept going through the seventies, so I, I could consider it. Uh, but it's the Cadillac Eldorados. So What's so interesting about a Cadillac Eldorado in these years? Well, for one, they have the largest motor ever made in Jeep by, <laughs> by any manufacturer uh, with a 500 cubic inch. And are you ready for it? 185 yep. horsepower. <laughs> so, that's, so that's exactly interesting. That's exactly how that went back then. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how, I mean, the thing it weighs 5,000 pounds. It's like, how could you, how could you even make a 500 cubic inch motor that powerless? Like, what do you, <laughs> Are you just like suffocating the cylinder heads, like not letting anything breathe? Like it doesn't make any sense that they could pull that off. But um, the really interesting thing about these is they were front wheel drive. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. So this actually started back in 66 or 7. They started doing this. Uh, this in the Oldsmobile Toronado. I think it was 66. What was the vehicle so, Oldsmobile made that had a motor in the front and the back? Didn't they do that for like a short period of time? Oh, like yeah, yeah. The, or something, but... Um, yeah, that was, they did a 442. That was like, it was like a 66 or seven. I've seen pictures of that. Like yeah. I remember one of my dad's books in black and white and seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of that stuff. Like the Hemi under glass Mopar was doing that. Um, yeah, I got to pull that thing up. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this was, uh, it was kind of interesting though. They, they left the motors facing forward in these. It wasn't like conventional front wheel drive with the sideways motor today. So basically oh. just had like a trans, a shorter a transmission too. with a, transfer case that turned it around like a four-wheel drive truck out to some sort of <laughs> cb chef type archaic thing i haven't really looked at any power like, robbing all the way through like oh <laughs> yeah so maybe maybe they were 185 to the wheel maybe that's why they were so powerless <laughs> just just lost like 300 horsepower through this <laughs> redirection of power um but it's kind of cool when you when you go inside of them there's no drive shaft hump on the floorboard right. so if you're like come from a big family like me i always i always sat in the bitch seat in the middle in the back because <laughs> i was the middle kid and it, the, the hump seat was the worst you know if you had to sit on top of the hump so these cars right. were the first of their era like these and the old tornados that there was no drive shaft hump in a full-size american car so <laughs> and these are also kind of made iconic in pop, pop culture this was the car that like boss hog and dukes of hazard drove uh he had the big long horns on the on the hood and stuff so like he had a couple different generations of caddies, but this was definitely in some of the later seasons. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting because biggest motor ever made was a front wheel drive car. It's just goofy, very oddball. Yeah, it has to be a it's probably not the lowest like output of power per CC or whatever, but it's gotta be <laughs> down there. It's up there, you it's know. a contender. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know they were front wheel drives though. That that surprises me actually. So that's cool. Um, oh, I forgot to like, get mine going here. So my uh, my next one, no surprise, it's a BMW. Um, so uh, let me find that here. So I went with, and uh, assume you're sharing here. Yep. 
So I went with the BMW 2002 Turbo TII is what it was. So that came out in 1974. Um, and they only made it for one year because of the oil crisis. Like they were developing this car for a little while. And then it kind of was like this bad timing thing. Right. And there's a little bit of history of this car. It like started out as the 1602. I think they called it. It was a 1.6 liter. And a couple of the BMW executives found out that they, um, they both took that motor in their own personal time and bored it out to two liters and use that for their daily. So BMW is like, well, we can probably do that too. Right. And made it into a two liter. Um, and then eventually a few turbo on it and got this thing to racing. And the thing maybe you can see in this photo here is, and during the press photos, turbo is written backwards on that front splitter on the front of the car. Oh. And they did that because that's what you'd be seeing coming after you on the racetrack. Right. So right. in your rear mirror, you'd be seeing that this is a turbo. So BMW's first turbo car and very kind of unfortunate naming for the company that made the turbo. Um, it, I forgot the words exactly, but it was KKK. What was the name oh, of the no. company? So they later changed it to KK and K um, to kind of separate themselves a little bit. <laughs> so so they, they made the turbocharger for this thing and it put out 168 horsepower out of a two liter motor in 1974 so wasn't slow um wasn't fast so either you know tires i mean and, it's, uh, it's competing with a 500 cadillac of the same <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly here's the two different ways that you could make about 170 right horse, right um yeah. so and a manual transmission um you know again it was made for the track the fenders and everything bolted onto it so if you needed to get in there to work on it or put on wider tires it was known for having these super aggressive tires though 185 millimeters wide big deal right um so it was bmw is definitely their entry into the sport uh kind of they call it the saloon the sedan which obviously this is a two-door coupe but it was a car that had a back seat that was light and sporty um not like your your dotsons and your corvettes but something you can use every day and still be on the track with it during the day so I um I think I think it's a really interesting car. It had pretty big brakes at the time, you know. I had good strong transmission and uh, you know lots of turbo leg. So the turbo didn't really get going until four thousand RPM. So you can imagine this two liter motor just trying to like get itself up to there, and then all of a sudden just all the boost, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a fun little car. But I think back to my first car, my first like real car that I drove all the time was a Chevy Lumina. 135 horse right my next uh, was the silverado 165 horse so being in the 70s and this little car weighing just over 2,000 pounds that's that's moving right it's not bad yeah uh so what's something like this worth today a good example uh, well well over 100,000 yeah right? save only 1600 made yeah yeah exactly yeah. it's it's one of those things that it doesn't have like a huge following in the states but people who know like them um yeah very few of them have this like color scheme to them though because there's a lot of 2002s and there's 2002 ti's and tii's but uh this is a turbo tii so that's all the you know kind of combos together kind of like where you can i think you used to have like ss's and you could have different packages within the ss right Um, right so um yeah, they, they aren't as crazy as some of the very collectible old 70s cars, but I, I think they just look cool. Like, to me, that's one of the coolest looking 70 cars. And, um, yeah. So, yep, that, that's what I'm putting down. 
It's pretty interesting. I've never even heard of that, but not really surprised, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the one that started the whole like sport uh, saloon, kind of like the normal everyday driver kind of car like that for people. Sure. Well, we'll move on to uh, like most iconic and pop culture of this era. And spoiler alert: I did not pick Smoking the Bandit Trans Am. A because I figured Steve would assume I am, and I wanted to prove him wrong. <laughs> Number two, I already did a Firebird Trans Am for my last car, my first car, and it's I've done two GMs already, so I figured I had to at least move it across, you know, to a different <laughs> manufacturer. Uh, so I went with another hugely iconic uh, TV car at the time which was the 76 Grand Torino, the Starsky and Hutch. Ooh, that's that's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah, these are, you know, I was, this is obviously before my time, before years too. You might have seen yeah. some reruns growing up. Oh, yeah. But this was like before Dukes of Hazard, and even, even that was before my time. But uh, it's kind of interesting because it is a very iconic car. But once again, in real life, this is like, a don't meet your heroes type car because <laughs> you picture it's some crazy fast hot rod that's like a hero car in a TV. And these are like 351 motors with 160 horse. I mean, could not get out of their own way in real oh, life. Oh, yeah, they're double digits to 60. I bet. I bet you it's like oh, a 10, yeah. 10, 11 second car. <laughs> 60. Yeah. That's the ironic thing is like they all that loss of horsepower through regulation and they didn't really gain any miles per gallon. If anything, they lost oh. it. So it's it all. Like sabotage. I mean, somebody should be held accountable for all this. When you have to, you have to floor it so much longer now. Right. <laughs> like, and are you familiar with the air pump? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like my, my my Silverado had one of those, right? Like, yeah. It basically, just you you're, you're taxing your motor to spin another accessory to pump air into your exhaust, so your parts per million is different. Yep. Like that. What kind of world that works? Where you're putting, you're burning less fuel. <laughs> you're just changing the ratio, right? <laughs> you change the ratio, and you're also just making the motor work harder to drive another oh. accessory. So <laughs> yeah, I remember that being an issue. That breaking of my Silverado. I'm like, why is this here? <laughs> like, yeah. I remember yeah. getting into a debate with somebody about that years ago. That wasn't really a car guy, and they started looking it up. They're like, oh no, it says it actually changes like the, you know, the mixture, all this and that, it makes it a cleaner burn. And I was like, if it worked, they'd still be doing it. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. Like it lasted for a few years, and they realized like this is stupid. We're wasting power, wasting money. Anyways, yeah. regulations. So yeah, the the Starsky and Hutch car, those seventy six Ford Grand Torino, still one of the most iconic things. It's, it's never going to be the General Lee. You know, it's not going to be like that level of no uh, <laughs> of fame. But so it's, it's kind of the predecessor car doing jumps, being just action scene after action scene, drifting, burnouts, that type of stuff. But this is uh what was the Clint Eastwood movie too? Didn't he have one of these in that? Yeah, it was like a seventy-one or two. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. I actually crazy. wasn't really familiar with this car until they redid Sartina Hutch in like the two thousands, right? Yeah. But, um, which is hilarious. And the outtakes in the end of that, you could see all the cars they destroyed during the jump shot. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that scene where Ben Stiller is about to jump it and wreck it, and he's like, "My mom said I couldn't handle this car. I couldn't handle a V eight, which always made me laugh as a car guy because I was like, I think that's." Barely a V8. It's so it's the powerful. weakest. Yeah, the weakest. <laughs> one of them. Yeah. Yeah. But... Oh, that's that's a good one. That's a really good pop. Uh, and you know, to go back to the Smokey and Bandit, like we that that is like so obviously on this list. But it, it's, I'm glad it's we picked leagues above else. this car as far as fame. It's it's a more famous yeah. car, I'd argue. For sure, for sure. But um, I'm glad we didn't take the easy way out of this one. So. <laughs> well, the the smoke or the smoking the bandits another one that Pontiac probably sold a million of those cars because of that movie. 
Oh. That came out in '77, and Pontiac never—that was never the Bandit package. It's kind of like Terminator Mustang. They—that was just—they use it in the movie, but that was just like their whatever gold package. You know, it was whatever right. they call it, but it had nothing to do with Bandit. It's not on the paperwork anywhere. There's not an option, but you know, a Bandit one. When you see the gold accents on the black, but that's another right. one. Like right? the in the first ten minutes of the movie, Burt Reynolds is driving it at a stoplight, and you just hear this nasty, cammed out big block. And he just lights them up like crazy. And it's like, that is not a 180 horse smog out. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put a Super Duty or a Rammer 4 or something in that thing for the movie. The, but, the, uh, best, the best thing about that era of cars is there was so much room for improvement, right? Like, you didn't have to be very smart <laughs> to get more power out of those things. Like, no. You could do a few things like, oh, I just swapped ahead some of this car from five years ago and put this car yeah. on it. Or, yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> right yeah no um, kidding you know now if you want to get extra 100 horsepower of a car it's well now you just throw like they're all turbocharged right so you throw a tune at it but um but if you're trying to get another 100 horse out of a 95 mustang good luck right like <laughs> without really tearing right. into that motor yeah cool um yeah i like that um all right i got mine loaded here so Again, I was thinking uh, smoking the Bandit as well, but then I want a different direction. So what I went with is the Lotus Esprit. And you might go, how is that a pop culture car? But um, if you remember the James Bond movie, and I have to remember which one it was, uh, you only live twice. Um, they had a car that he jumps and then it turns into a submarine and he has to put on oh, like, okay. They actually, it was a, they call it a wet submarine. So water actually enters in the cab of the car. So you still have to have a snor like a snorkel and everything on. Well, not snorkel, but um, breathing apparatus. Um, but they actually made one. So that, that car actually works and was successful. So I'll get to that in a second. But the uh, Lotus Esprit is a really long running car. I think it ran from like the early 70s all the way until 2004. Um, oh, wow. And lotus um often is kind of moved around a lot of different owners so there's different motors throughout the life cycle of it i think it started with just a two liter four cylinder back in the 70s and in the 90s had a v8 in it by the time they were kind of getting ready to discontinue it but interesting fact about the s1 version of it is and the chassis is all the same throughout the whole life cycle but that chassis is what the delorean actually used for its right. chassis so okay. um, they borrowed it from this car. But um, so the submarine car, though, for the, the Bond movie, kind of interesting fact about that is, again, it was a working car and it was just built to look like this car. There was actually electric motors to actually run the submarine portion of it to make it go forward and everything. But um, after the movie was all done, the person who produced it got it back and they put it in a storage unit, which they rented for 10 years. And it was one of those things where it got kind of lost. Like that person may have passed away. I don't remember exactly the history here, but it just ended up in the storage unit that everybody forgot about. And then one of these things where somebody just buys the storage unit without actually seeing inside of it, paid less than $100 for the storage unit. Um, back in, I, I want to say the late 80s, early 90s kind of time frame. Um, and this car is in there and kind of starts figuring out what it is. And starts um, realizing what he has on his hands. And he owned like a tool shop. And I think he was somewhat of a mechanic. So kind of got it fixed up, made it look a little nice. And now uh, Elon Musk owns it. 
Uh, he bought it <laughs> from this person for a, a pretty penny back in 2013. And uh, he's told that he's going to be putting Tesla motors in it to remake it and make it work again. But just just kind of a wild deal. But yeah, I, I don't know a ton of these cars. I, I've never obviously driven one. I've seen some of the newer ones of it, which again, they're all fairly similar. Like if I was to kind of scroll through here, you'd probably start to like maybe go, oh yeah, maybe I've seen one of those. Like when we get into the uh, 2000s and such here, but they look like yeah. every other wedge shaped car. Um, but when you get into the nineties, <clears throat> they kind of get a little bit cooler looking, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm familiar with the name. I don't know a whole lot about them. I've, I've heard that story. I don't know where I heard. Was, there, was that on a TV show or something? About the Very well might have been. Yeah, I, I, I just was kind of looking up facts about it and saw that on it. So. Yeah, I mean, everything everything about that story rang a bell. Like, even down to the, when you said Elon Musk, like that rang a bell, too. Like, I think I heard yeah. this story somewhere. The, yeah, the, the nickname of the car was the Wet Nelly, I think is what they called it. So that was kind of what the name of that car was. So. Yeah, that's but, like, that's a hell of a yeah. lottery ticket. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of those situations where you're just like, why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I couldn't imagine walking into something like that. Like, oh, here's, I don't know what it actually went for, but you know, it was all of a hundred thousand dollars, like all of and more, right? Um, oh, I, yeah, I guess closer to seven figures. I mean, that's right. That's a piece of like, yeah, movie and automotive history. Yeah. So and, actually, sorry, I forgot. So it cost a hundred thousand dollars to build at the time. So oh, okay. Um, and it went for 550,000 pounds, which I guess I don't know the trends, uh, what, what that would be in US dollars at the time, but yeah, yeah, more than we can afford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elon Musk have money, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, all right, well, we're gonna end it with our uh, bottomed out segment. So, I think I went first last time, so I'll, I'll let you take this one. This is where every week we talk about cars that are as cheap as they're gonna ever be. If you don't buy one now, they're only going up from here, in our opinion. This is not financial advice, but <laughs> yeah, we're probably right. So <laughs> that's that's um, that's a definitely a good, a good way to lead this off. Um, yeah, I, you know, I I didn't get as much time to really uh, think about this as I wanted to, but and I don't need to definitely show a photo because everybody's gonna know what this looks like. But one of these cars, this car, like, is so obvious, but at the same time, I just don't think it's getting cheaper, and they're they're kind of they're not bad to find right now. So just you know, the F body in general, you've, you've had one of these, right? You just recently sold yours, right? Did I just steal yours for this episode? Yeah. Okay. Where yeah. you thinking? <laughs> no, no, I gotta keep thinking. Go ahead. I knew well, we, could possibility. Do, we could do this one together. Who cares? Yeah, let's like, do it together. Cause I, yeah. I mean, I was, I didn't, I was kind of running out of time today too. I was like, I've had this one in the back of my head for a while, but I'm like, man, I just, I keep talking about GM stuff, but I gotta get out of the way. Cause it, it definitely well, is it's, real. It's such a good one. I, I keep on, I, mean, I, I really want to, <laughs> I wear a Camaro shirt as we speak. <laughs> I really want to build a drag car and I keep on going back between getting an F body or a C5 and the F bodies. I mean, you can find some decent examples for under 10 grand, like, and they're mm -hmm. not, not bad cars. Um, you know that I grew up with that. So like that, I graduated 2003. So obviously all through high school, that was like the car, right. Mm -hmm. To get. And then even after that WS six is um, seeing those around, it's just like, the coolest rarest thing ever for me uh but yeah going the lt1 was quick ish right like it wasn't bad and you yeah. couldn't really mod it and get a ton of power out like the ls1 but 
Yeah, I remember hated, even at they that. hated superchargers. They were high compression, <clears throat> right? Option but it wasn't slow by any means either. Like it could, it would hang with the Mustang at the time. Yeah, sure. they were they're in the in the quarter mile. I remember running into one of those when I had a uh, three series, which I thought was pretty quick. I ran like fourteen eight with it or whatever, right? And I was like, this is fast. And thinking that I was going to pull that thing up top, but man, those things got going after sixty. Like it just had all the torque in the world and just started to walk away from me. But yeah, but yeah, I, I, you certainly know more about them than me and you probably know the market form better, but I, yeah, so, I think that's <clears throat> I've had a couple. So I've one of my, my first manual trans I ever had actually was a 98 Z 28 six speed <clears throat> LS one car. And that was kind of like, this is like, a, this is a big step for me. Cause like this before that I had like a 15 second car, like the LT one Buick Roadmaster. Right. Now I'm going to a car that's, you know, 14, one quarter, six speed trans, you know, yeah, it wants to hang it out around corners. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different animal than a full size Buick, but um, it was a blast to drive, but that was back in like 2012 about that thing. And you remember what you, the, I mean, we're back then 80,000 miles, clean title, six grand red T top. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, that was. That was a, you know, I thought that, but I thought that was like, you know, nobody wants these things anymore. That's how it felt at the time. This is the, this is the old Camaro, the new ones out now. This is like an old car with all kinds of problems. That's the thing with the F bodies, great motors, but just like every other GM car, cheap interiors, um, particularly the Firebirds have like the, they're known for the, the hideaway headlights that don't work, you know, oh, yeah. like the, the little stop doesn't work. And you just hear it grinding for 10 seconds after you turn the car off. Uh, the door panels always crack on the Trans Ams inside of them. They just always the same spot in the middle of the door panel on each side. They get this hairline crack through the centers. So they're just problematic. Um, you know, my, my one buddy said the, the Trans Am WS6 is the Corvette's white trash cousin that has daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, he, said, he said hot white trash cousin. Like, you okay. still yeah, have all the right makes... places, but you know, <clears throat> just like stay away from it. It's just got so many issues. <laughs> like the Corvette's the Val Victorian straight A student that the grandparents are proud of. The WS6 was just a mess, but you know, gosh, it's got all the right curves. You know, it's hard to not want one. <laughs> well, the equivalent Corvette too is like those C5s like held up pretty well. Like, and you've owned a few of those as well. But every mm-hmm. time I've seen one of those, they're usually in pretty good shape still, right? Which they're well, yeah. That's that's the thing is when the, I was going to bring that up too <clears throat> with the F bodies. Like you had two buyers, right? You had the kids. And they wanted to hot rod them who could afford them when they were new. Then you had like the, the old boomers that were, they were kind of in their forties and these things came out and they're looking at them going like, Oh, they, they these Camaros are fast again. So they, right. they buy the SS convertibles and you find them with 15,000 miles <clears> on them still just, it never done a burnout. You know, those kind of cars are still out there because all the anniversary cars, the anniversary 99 Trans Ams, the white with blue stripes, those things are doing stupid money right now. Oh, they're, if they're low mileage, 40, 60, 70 grand. If they're like super low miles which is way beyond MSRP. So yeah. that's kind of a encouraging sign to see they're going to be collectors. Um, well, those certainly will. Like, yeah, I think find one of those, you're going to be sitting good. Yeah. But WS6s, Camaro SS's in general, they're just, like you said, they're, they're what you're saying. There's so many of them got turned into race cars, got turned into just beaters and used and abused. So kind of like everything else, when you get older, you have money, you have a little more brains, you have experience. You go, I still want one of those, but I want to start with a clean blank slate. So I want to find a nice, clean, untouched one if I'm going to do a, like a build again. So even if someone's buying it to have it just be preserved and be stock, 
it's still worth more because it's original. Or if you just want to do an ultimate build, like I'm going to LT4 swap this thing, I'm going to put like a road, <clears throat> a, road, a road shop chassis underneath it or something like that, you're still going to want just an, an unmolested car to start with. Yeah. So I, I just feel like those cars, you know, you can get a good WS6, good SS in the teens right now with clean title under 100,000 miles. You know, 50,000 mile cars probably 17 grand right now, if right. that. So I think those cars are going to be mid 20s all days long within the next decade. For sure, and I was thinking the interesting thing about that car is, like you said, like the boomers were buying them up. Like a lot of the people were buying, like in '99, right? Thirty years ago, it was the '69 Camaro and right. Firebird, right? Like so, that was kind of their way to get back into something that maybe they saw as when they were really young, or their their parent, their their father, or whatever had. Um, right. And and now that's come back full circle again, right? Like right, exactly. yeah. And then <laughs> you know. the other thing I would think of, if you're a good, if you're a boomer who had a Camaro that was new when you're in your you know early 20s and 60s and then it comes out in the late 90s and you go wait it's faster than it ever used to be it gets 29 miles per gallon and it's got 350 horsepower and you i don't have to do anything to it it just runs forever just give it oil changes there's no carbs to tune or oil burn <clears> or <throat> nothing like the old small blocks you know yeah you're just it was just a better drive line all the way around so that's why you see it's not like you know last time i talked about the srt4 neon those were there's no boomers buying those things it was all kids they're all destroyed it's really hard yeah. to find a clean one but these were a mixed buyer so you had young guys with money they were building to race them or, or get them secondhand when they were used and destroying them or you had the guys that bought them new and held them well it's still that sweet spot of cars too like i would say a lot of the 90s cars and i'll call that a 90s car because it mostly existed in the 90s like they had enough tech to be modern but not enough to be complex right like so anybody can work on those and they're not that crazy to mod and like you don't get that much money the biggest downside though is the interiors usually were kind of garbage like you could find a car with that's 20 years older that has nicer interior <laughs> you know? only only people listening that own a 90s pontiac will remember this but there's an issue, there's a glitch with Pontiac radios of this era. Because I remember my cousin had like a 97 Bonneville, and my brother had a Trans Am. I just had a Trans Am. Like the radios get weird. It has a little real stat volume switch. And you go to turn it down, and it cranks up. It would just do it oh, like, wow. it's so obnoxious. It was, like, it was a Pontiac thing with those uh, those Bose systems they had, or whatever it was, or Monsoon, or I forgot what brand it was. But so annoying. Because like, you'll get, especially you get like a phone call, and you're like, oh, yeah, you'll turn the music down, and it just blasts up to full blast. Like... <laughs> they're just they're riddled with just issues they're, they're just very not you know well-built cars just had awesome drive lines and great looks oh yeah but, yeah, yeah like so many yeah. of those got robbed for their motor because yeah you know 2010s i'll swap everything right like so people were buying the firebirds the camaros and maybe oh, they that's had where all the ls ones that's where all the ls ones came from everyone just yeah, pulled them out of those you know? and the t56s right like that's right. how you got a t56 trans like because you didn't want the gto because it was drive by wire right? right so that was kind of the you, the trans is fine but like that was a big issue and same thing with the the ls3s and everything in the 2010s i, I think that was a ls3 they started with the 2010 camaros it was ls2 I think so, yeah. um but but yeah um i, I agree i i think I could see at some point people that are a little bit younger than us probably wanting more that fifth gen Camaro. Um, but I think this one will hold on for a while, but I think at some point those fifth gens, I don't think they've gotten there yet, but those will bottom out here and that will be kind of an interesting car to grab onto. Um, I also say at the sixth gen, but um, 
the fifth gens are starting to grab my attention. I think those are kind of starting to look cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that makes it easy that we we kind of spent just as much time as we would have on two cars with yeah one, but but oh, yeah, I had a hunch that was going to happen. I mean, eventually we're going to have the same idea, but that yeah, for sure. I've been keeping that one in my back pocket for weeks. So. <laughs> but I did just sell one, like you mentioned. I I just had a built uh, O2 WS6 as a pewter six speed T top with. 460 wheel horse naturally aspirated big cam motor but so yeah those are kind of fresh in my head and i already kind of miss it you know now that it's winter time and i'm not driving anything fast but <laughs> yeah that's like the exact car i want to buy I, I and i think i texted you about this the other day we were talking about cars and i was just like i want to buy one of those and then it's like convince all my friends to go out to the drag strip with me and like let's just see who can get the best time of this thing like who cares the speed yeah. on it. you know that's what it's for um well that's the and, only other thing we forgot to mention is those stock rear ends are made out of glass oh so, yeah 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 right. once the mini throw any sort of power at it they just grenade actually that first uh, z28 i told you about i sold it to a, to a guy who's probably a couple years younger than me at the time so he's probably 20 i was 22 when i sold it and he lived in the city and he was part of like a hot rod street racing group and he just dumped all his paychecks into full bolt-ons built made like a 480 wheel horse motor without changing the axle and we were friends on facebook at the time and he posted the first video. He's staged at a Union Grove drag strip. He's up there and light turns green is <clears throat> boom and just metal on the ground. Just grenaded the ground the first pass. Like it literally cannot take one pass of, of that motor being hot rodded. So that was kind of GM's weakness though for that period, right? Yeah. Like CTSs were the same. CTSVs yeah. weren't they have uh, poor rear ends too? They had wheel hop issues. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Really bad. Yeah, yep. I mean, I got a story about that for another day. I, yeah, I brought one to a drag strip, and whew, my, I'm still dizzy from the wheel hop. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, they made kits though to to you know help fix that. I think they're pretty strong overall. I mean, you don't really break your half shaft from the wheel hop, so as long as you can yeah. stop the wheel hop, they could kind of take the the power. Okay. But... For some reason, I was saying like the the original, like the first LS1 CTSV had like the diff out of the v6 car or something yeah. I, I well they were it was at ls6 actually so they were 405 horse oh. but it yeah. could have been um they I mean I, you know mine were all stock You're so right. maybe once you threw boost at them or something maybe they couldn't handle yeah. it i never really pursued modifying yeah. mine because i was kind of buying it to sell it but yeah they were uh you make makes no sense because gm like they had the chevy 12 volt since the 60s like just a bulletproof rear end that was indestructible and somehow they just go backwards it's like, dude, if you're building performance if you scale it down, do what you got to do, but just keep these key things in place that make it strong. You think you have all, the, all the engineering time they spend to make something worse, right? Oh, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's all I got for you guys this week. Anything you want to mention, Steve? No, no, just uh, we'll have to think more about uh, the next decade. Maybe we'll save that for a couple episodes, but we'll put a little more thought into it, especially when we get to the 90s. That's my era, I like that. Arab car, so yeah, that's me. That's a, that's a lot to pick from because I'm glad we got the 80s out of the way first. That was the hardest, yeah. you know, best car of the worst decade. But um, you know, 90s is fun. Some things started to get fun again. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Work. We cut the hood scoops out of a rusted 70 to 72 GS hood and grafted them into my Roadmaster and painted the hood. So I had a 70 GS hood. I put all GS badging. So I made a Roadmaster GS out of a, <laughs> out of a, you know, because I couldn't afford a PAL SS. But, um,
that's where I've always, I'm kind of, kind of partial to those cars. We had two 94 Fleetwoods growing up. Um, we actually had a 95 Fleetwood limo that my dad oh, had that we would, nice. we would take on vacation and stuff. We, we got it for like nothing. <laughs> it, was, it was an eBay purchase and it was out in Colorado and it was like going nowhere. So he like bid like six grand or something, 40,000 miles. And he won the auction. He's like, Oh, I guess we will pick it up. So he had one of his friends go <laughs> fly out to uh, Colorado and drive it home. And that was what 2004. I mean, the car was only nine years old. It was insane. Wow. But uh, we, we took it to Yellowstone, uh, Buick GS Nationals. We drove all over the country. My grandparents would come with and drink wine in the back while we were going across the country. It was awesome. It was fun. We eventually sold it because everybody wanted to borrow it and they'd all bring it back worse than. They yeah right it. so it became such a burden we had to like detail it and clean up puke and all this stuff because people go to parties and go to concerts in it cousins right. and whatnot but yeah anyways back to the let's talk about those those cars i think are gonna do some good money i know they've gotten a little bit of um like the wagons in particular have gotten some uh a little bit of love lately because i know like Dak shepherd the actor he put an lsa in one and like smoked a lamborghini on a viral video on a runway and uh, he, Jay Leno's garage had it on there. So he did like a crazy, like $100,000 build on one. And the, so the wagons are starting to get appreciated. And, and a lot, like a lot of old cars, they are very prone to rust and like the spare wheel well and stuff. So finding a rust free one's not easy. They were family cars. So a lot of them just got destroyed by kids, that turned used, into demo right. cars. Um, so you find a clean one's hard. And, and the ones that are nice, I mean, like I said, you see a, a 50,000 mile one do 20 some grand if it's checks all the boxes and is clean and got good options. Um, Fleetwoods are the same way. They're, they're doing high teens if they're super low miles and Impel SS have always been kind of, they never really dip below like, you know, eight grand for a decent one. That wasn't a complete pile of junk. Right. But the Caprices like are the, probably your, your cheapest buy though. Roadmaster sedans. Yeah. Those Impala SS remind me of the Marauder existed for a while right i mean there's so many yeah. panthers out there that you can get a convict one way or another but the marauders were kind of cool too um yeah i think the yeah. thing with, with those wagons from the 90s too is that um there's a whole different buyer group in those like there's the people that grew up with them right but now i think there's a younger group than us that like it's more like ironic to own one of those like they think it's kind of like hipster cool. yeah yeah exactly right so i think they actually are probably bring up the prices of those too because they just kind of want that yeah. kind of weird you know wagon which yeah. they did for a while like ford had their like wagon vehicle they made i don't know if any other people did like i forgot that it was freestyle or something like that um flex um so i could see those wagons catching on people and them really want to pick them up yeah for me it's definitely nostalgia we had two of them growing up we had a 91 caprice which is the same body style I specified yeah. 94 to 96 because those were the LT1 years. Yeah. This was a 305 TBI, 180 horse, but <laughs> same body style. But And then we had a 93 Roadmaster, which was like the 350 TBI, the pre-LT1 motor. Um, but that was the Woody wagon. And just uh, when I had, my, I bought my wagon a couple, like a year and a half ago. And like when I got it, I just like was kind of looking at it. And I, I sat in that backward seat and just mm -hmm. like. The memories that came flooding back like the smell of that interior the release handle like the spare tire well just like all of it like i could just hear like all these 95.3 the station my mom used to listen to like playing going just to elementary school <laughs> i mean it was just like pure nostalgia i, I should have kept that car but uh I'm, I'm kind of i've been thinking about looking for another one honestly because i think they're they're as cheap as they're gonna be because there's there's not many nice ones left yeah well i have a story to close out now you remind me of this rear back um 
facing backseat. It's a crazy car story, but it's when I was in middle school, so I wasn't driving yet. But um, friend's father had one with a rear-facing backseat, and we were in the back and driving through a nearby town, and we thought it would be funny to act like we were kidnapped, like we were tied up. So arms on our backs, pushed a note up to the window that said help, and we're just laughing. These drivers are looking at us all crazy. Uh, he drops, we get dropped off at my friend's mother's house because they were divorced. Get a call like three hours later. Cops came, picked this guy up, tore apart his house. BC, oh, no. They got called in for kidnapping kids. And uh, they got the plates and everything. And oh, man, my friend got in so much trouble for that. Like, oh, no. <laughs> oh. So, so I think about rear-facing seats. I think about that scenario. And that was that was a dumb move on my part. But uh, at the same That's time. brutal. Uh, well, it's a pretty good story. That can, that can ruin a guy, even though you're innocent. Like, people just get that, like, as, you know, playing a game of telephone and just hearing that secondhand. Like, did that guy really do it? Like, oh, exactly, know, exactly. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that's brutal, man. Yeah, so just, <laughs> just hope your your kids – don't leave any paper back there for your kids. Right on. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. Um, hey, guys, like we said before, you know, please like, comment, review, uh, especially on iTunes. You know, help boost the algorithm a little bit. Uh, follow us on Instagram at the Motor Madhouse. Anything else you want to say, Steve? No, no, I'm just, yeah, I'll I'll have to get you some photos of those in Polycess wheels, my Silverado. I'll share those with you so you can see what that looks I like. But no, I'm I'm oh, ready to do this again and talk more cars with you, but I'm ready for it to be warm so we can get out there and do some things. I can't so. wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the other thing. I, real quick, I had my, uh, I think I've told you a couple episodes ago, I want to get that motor pulled out of my parts car and into this car. And I've been toying with it and I, I got it pretty close, but um basically where it's at is i changed the valve stem seals i, I changed all the oil uh plugs whole ignition system it runs phenomenal but it, once it gets up to temp it just keeps billowing smoke out of the oil fill on the valve cover but the more i was watching it it's also wisping off the outside of the cylinder heads it's not anywhere where it's leaking i think it's just built up old carbon that's just so burning it's off pressurizing and, or, or yeah well, i think it's just burning off i think it's just oh, okay. old junk because now that okay. the oil's out of it i, I was suspecting that the that bad oil was probably 10 to 25 years old who knows it is black um but it's been sitting forever so it's got a little fresh oil and it's doing the same thing it's definitely not seals because now i fired up and it was cold there's no puff out of the exhaust there's nothing okay. and it's uh i'm the only reason i can't let it run too long is the radiator is shot in it so basically my next step is is i want to pull the current radiator out and my buddy sold me an aluminum radiator that doesn't fit the car i'm going to put it in but it will work if i just strap it in place temporarily yeah. and then just let it run for like an hour and just rev it up and just let it burn everything off so i think i just haven't let it run long enough to burn off all this old junk that's stuck to all the cast iron because it's got great compression so i know the rings aren't leaking i did all the valve stem seals so it's got to be just it's too runs too good to be a problematic motor i don't think it's damaged yeah, i would imagine it's been sitting for a long time that's probably likely it right yeah. so but then we got hit with a foot of snow snow it's buried <laughs> so that's just kind of put a little damper on everything see you in so. two months <laughs> yeah, yeah. anyways so yeah we'll see you guys next week later